0: Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 35 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Hillary Glenn, a successful full-time remote contract fashion designer who's done work for brands like Title IX, Wool, Spider, and Pearl Izumi. Hillary shares tons of strategies she used to kickstart her freelance career almost five years ago and she also shares how she built it up to being so busy that she no longer has to actively search for work at all. All new projects and clients come to her. In the interview, we cover how she updated her LinkedIn profile so she came to the top of search results when brands were looking for contractor or freelance designers how she focused on putting a portfolio together that showed brands exactly what they wanted to see, which was the behind the scenes design process, including her sketchbook and rough sketches. And last, why you can't always set a flat rate, but rather must focus on understanding exactly what your client needs before figuring out how to bid a project or what the price should be.
1: Base your prices off of a detailed brief that the client gives you. Um, because it's hard to give a price on uh, a sweater, you know. I don't know if that sweater is just very plain, or they want um, stitch detail, or do they want artwork in it? So it all, it all is very helpful to look at the brief first and then give a proposal um, based on what they want.
0: Before we get started, if you haven't checked it out yet, make sure to take a look at the Ultimate Guide to Being a Freelance Fashion Designer that I released recently. It's over 20,000 words long and takes you step-by-step through the process of how to find and reach out to clients to get work, how to figure out and negotiate your rate, and how to present yourself and your portfolio professionally. I'm really excited to share that many designers in the audience have already reached out to me to share success stories, things like getting new clients and negotiating a higher wage using the strategies that I put together in this ultimate guide. So whether you're new to freelancing and want to get a head start or you've been doing it for a while and know there's always room to improve, check the ultimate guide to being a freelance fashion designer out right now at sfdnetwork.com freelance. As always, if you don't want to miss out on upcoming episodes, make sure to hit subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And if you enjoy the show, I'd be thrilled if you'd take 30 seconds to leave a review or rating on iTunes. It really ha- helps out, and I really appreciate it. You can do that at sfdnetwork.com review. Now, on to the interview with Hillary. To access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com 35. Welcome, Hillary, to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. I would love to have you start out by introducing yourself to everybody and telling us a little bit about what you do in the fashion industry.
1: Okay. Hi, everyone. I'm Hillary Glenn. Um, I am an apparel designer in Boulder, Colorado, and I work as a contractor um, for mostly lifestyle apparel and
0: performance companies. Awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> awesome. Well, Hillary, you and I crossed paths at an event um, a little while ago here in Denver, Colorado, and it was so great to meet you and get to chat with you in person. And you told me you've been doing contract and freelance work for about five years. Is that right?
1: Yes, that is correct.
0: Okay. And if I'm not mistaken, or if I remember correctly, you said that you've had really good luck with sort of finding projects and meeting new clients on LinkedIn. Yes, I have, surprisingly so. Okay, so I would love to kind of unpack that a little bit and figure out, you know, kind of what you've done and how you've used that platform to get new work, to connect with new clients. I mean, have you done anything strategic, like just tell us about the process and like how you've used that platform to get more work. Um, I think that, you know, as a contract designer, especially when I was first
1: starting out, um, I was doing, you know, a lot of networking, trying to find clients and, um, updating my LinkedIn page was, um, kind of a priority just to like, you know, it's an easy way to look up someone kind of like going through their resume. Um, but, uh, just updating that and putting uh, every client that I've worked with um, on there. And I noticed that uh, as time progressed, people did a lot of searching on LinkedIn for um, contract apparel help. And so, you know, I would get random calls and say that they would, they had found me via LinkedIn. And either that was by like searching a specific company that I had worked for and they had Googled that company and that was pulling my name up. So.
0: I think that's kind of where um, they found me, and so and did, in
1: some cases,
0: okay. And so, on those cases, like, did you really think strategically about like using keywords and what you were writing to describe, you know, your skill set and maybe the services and tasks you had done for these brands, or you just kind of kept adding the work you did, and then it just happened?
1: Um, I kind, I tried to be descriptive. Um, not get too wordy, but just kind of listed out the things that I had done for each client. Um, and honestly, I do think that people are like, oh, you know, we're doing a, their a lifestyle company. So they'll search like Title Nine, and I've worked for Title Nine, So then, you know, my name pops up um, as a, a contract designer for them. So I think like if you can link your, you know, add their, the companies that you have listed or that you've worked for, um onto your LinkedIn, a lot of people search through those companies um, so they can see, oh, you've worked for a similar brand that I'm doing, uh, you know, and they see that you're a contract designer. Um, So, yeah, I think it's just uh, they look at your past history and if that lines up with the company that they're working for, then it's an easy match.
0: And on that note, a lot of your work has been in like a pretty specific market, right? Um, Kind of
1: in some ways, but kind of not. I've kind of had to um, broaden my skill set uh, going into contract design just to, you know, find enough work. Um, when I, I was a knitwear designer when I was in New York. So, I mean, that helped me um, get more access to knitwear positions, knitwear contract positions here because I have that history, um, or experience. And, but really when I moved to Colorado, um, I realized there were so many lifestyle and outerwear and performance wear companies here. So I kind of had to broaden my scope of work. And, um, I said yes to a lot of things that I didn't have experience in and just kind of Learned as I went, and so I think that kind of helped um, gain new client awareness and people gain new experience
0: yeah, and now though don't do you do quite a bit of like active and lifestyle and sportswear stuff like that's kind of your market right, mainly so um and
1: just because of proximity, I mean most of the companies in Colorado are um, performance and lifestyle. So, I do get a lot that's my main market and experience. Um, I also do quite a bit of like print design um, and then I'm also starting my own women 's apparel company as well, which is not not so much lifestyle, so <laughs>
0: not in that category
1: yeah yes.
0: um, cool and I want to talk about what you're doing with your own collection um, definitely in a little bit um, but to- okay kind of going a little bit more into the freelance stuff. Um mm-hmm. you mentioned that a lot of the brands you work with are in Colorado, which is where you're located. um Do you do most of your work on site or remote? um mostly remote um I work from home and then I also have
1: uh an office in Boulder, which is nice, so I kind of get out of the house um and then some clients will need some in-house work if it's a specific program that I need to use. Um, but yeah, primarily it's all remote, and I'll go in for meetings or fittings and whatnot.
0: Yeah, and how? Because one of the things I hear a lot, um, a lot of designers say in in Um, Our industry is they say things like, you know, brands just won't let you work off site. They're afraid they're going to steal your you're going to steal their designs or, you know, things Mm -hmm. are just done so much more easily in house and, you know, off site remote freelancing isn't even an option. Um, And so I'm curious to know, like, did you have to push to negotiate that or did they were they just okay with it or what have you kind of found with that setup?
1: You know I actually haven't had any problems with that. Um, most of the companies i guess were just uh, used to contractors working off site um, so so yeah, I actually haven't had that problem
0: Wow, that's really surprising to hear and really awesome at the same time <laughs> <laughs> i think you know I think a little bit as some of these companies are progressing and and working remote is becoming a little bit more of the norm. Um, You know, maybe some of them are just accepting that. So that's great to hear. Um, And so, okay, going back to LinkedIn, you said that some of the work you got was because companies were searching on LinkedIn for whatever keywords or whatever brands, and then they tripped over your portfolio and got in touch. And then Mm -hmm. outside of that, have you done any outreach to get new work or what have been some other ways you've landed new contracts?
1: Um, I think when I first started out, so I've been um, I was in New York prior to this. And um, when I moved to Colorado uh, I realized there were so many companies out here. And then, you know, it just kind of, I kind of fell into contract design because this is where I wanted to live. And, um, I had some connections, uh, from CSU and that's where I got my design degree. So it was helpful that I knew people in the industry here. So I reached out to them, um, at first. And so some, uh, kind of friend of friends either put my, put my name in and, um, got an interview. And I think it helped that, like I had in-house experience working in New York, um, and, you know, just someone new in the area was, I think I just kind of got pretty lucky getting some big accounts right when I first moved here. So I think once I got, um, that opportunity and, you know, some, some companies under my belt, people saw that I had experience doing contract work and, um, it was mostly by word of mouth. And then, oh, uh, for a couple of years I was going to the trade shows like, OR and SIA, and I would bring, you know, little snippets of my portfolio and walk up to brands that I was interested in and ask if anyone from design was there. And most of the time they weren't, but I would hand out my card um, and actually left, like, a few pieces of my, like, little printouts of my portfolio for them to give to someone in design. And, uh, you know, for the Most part, you know, I didn't get a lot of calls, but actually got two two uh, main clients from doing that. So it did work, you know, for a few people, which was good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. You're actually the second person I've had on the show who's gone to trade shows and sort of kind of pitched their services Um, and... I, that can be a really scary, intimidating thing to just kind of blindly walk up to the booth. Like, do you oh, remember, yeah. like, what did you feel like? It was awful. I'm like, <laughs> not a, not a super outgoing person.
1: So, you know, I'm kind of shy and you just kind of go up there and what's the worst case? I mean, they're going to take your car. Nobody's not going to take your, is card. That's the worst thing, you know, <laughs> nothing worse than that could happen. So it's, it's totally fine. And, you know, for the most part, design people aren't available to talk right then and there, but in the off chance that you, they are actually looking for a contract designer and you get your card into their hands. I mean, that's very helpful. And then I usually get a card or a contact from whoever's working the desk at the trade show. And they'll be like, okay, you can just follow up with them. And so I always follow up and, um, yeah, so it's not that bad and the worst thing that could happen is they don't email you back. So <laughs> it's it's it was b- very nerve wracking and but it did, you know, it lucked out and it gets your name out there and I don't know. I think it's just you have to be kind of ballsy to just go up and <laughs> ask for work. So that was that was very intimidating and you know, after you do it a few times it's it's easy and then At this point, like I don't have to search for work and I'm able, people are able to find me. And so it's been such a relief and rewarding to not have to like go out and uh, beg for work pretty much. But that's the part of freelancing is you kind of have to do that when you're first starting out.
0: Yeah. And how long, I mean, congratulations on getting to the point where like the work comes to you. That's a really huge hurdle to get over. Um, so mm-hmm. great job on that. Uh, it's not an easy path. But how long do you, were you really kind of like out there, you know, continually updating your LinkedIn, going to these trade shows, tossing out business cards? How long until you felt like, okay, the work is coming to me? I'm getting enough repeat business or referral clients that like I don't have to get out there and find new leads anymore? Um, I think it, you know, actually hasn't been,
1: um, it's been kind of recent. So probably after it was the first three years I was, you know, continually looking for work and it's, you know, being a contractor is very nerve wracking because you don't have a steady income coming in. So I always say yes to projects, even though I don't have time sometimes. So I'm always, Overloading my work and and obviously it it ebbs and flows and there's more work some months and less work other months. But um, I kind of was always looking ahead, like knowing that this project is going to end next week. I need to have something else lined up. And the last um, two and three years, you know, I haven't had to really reach out um, that much. And I have had enough recurring clients to kind of fill that space where I know that the work is coming. And um, luckily this year, even I've had a couple of new clients that found me at a trade show or LinkedIn. And so I've been kind of lucky the last two years where I haven't had, had to um, search out. So I guess it was probably like three years until I got to that point. Okay.
0: Yeah. No, that sounds about right. I mean, it does take a while mm-hmm. to build up that base. Um, so you say... Uh, you've been really lucky. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, anything in life comes down to some luck. Um, but <laughs> but I'm sure there's things that you've done that like you might not even be aware of that have, you know, gotten those clients that you do land to c- keep working with you, to continually, um, you know, ask you to do the next season, the next project, or refer you to somebody um, is mm-hmm. is there anything that you can think of off the top of your head that you've done to like really make the experience of working with you just so exceptional that the client is going to continue, no matter what? I mean, pending you know um, obvious various situations like going out of business or something, but you know right. to keep up, getting more work, and get getting them to come back each season to work with you. I I think that. Um, some clients, um, really appreciate
1: the extra work that I do. And I don't know, you know, every contract designer is different. Um, like if they give me a brief for one specific style, I come up with several options. And I think that, um, they like that. And in the end, it works out for me because they end up adding more styles if they like several options that I present. So, um, I do a lot of extra work up front where I'm like, okay, they're asking for this um, long sleeve sweater, that's a zip up, but I'm going to design, you know, several options for them to choose from and they're all very different. So maybe they'll like two of them and they end up taking on another style. So um, I think that's been helpful to me and I, I guess I've received compliments about, like, thank you for bringing so many great ideas. Um, you know, this is more than we asked for, but we really like it. And I know it's extra work, obviously, on my part, but um, it often pays off in the end, um, especially when they end up adding, you know, more styles
0: yeah and i I mean that's um it's a common theme that that I talk about and that a lot of people on the show have talked about, whether it's in a mm-hmm. freelance career or a career um you know as an employee, but it's like going that extra mile to blow your boss out of the water to blow your client out of the water to just like really do an awesome job so i'm really glad to hear that like that's something specific you've done and it's worked for you um because it does go a long way a lot of people will do exactly what they've asked but doing a little bit extra um like you said it's more work but in the end it turns out to your benefit um so i'm curious on that note and you don't have to share any numbers or anything but i'm curious to Mm -hmm. know like how, what is your um, pricing structure? Do you do by project or do you do by piece or like what have you found works best, especially if you're, if they maybe come to you and they say, we would like you to design one style or, you know, this full zip sweater, like you said, and you may present five options and then they adopt two of those, you know, how have you kind of navigated the pricing and your rates? Cause that's a really tough space for a lot of people. Right. And, and it, it's,
1: so hard, so hard to know pricing, and I still question myself all the time. Am I on with pricing? Am I, you know, off? But uh, I think after working as a contractor, and you know, clearly I have more experience under my belt now, and I can charge more than I did when I first started. Um, I do, I do per P, per style. It's helpful to base your prices off of a detailed brief that the client gives you um, because it's hard to give a price on uh, a sweater. You know, I don't know if that sweater is just very plain or they want um, stitch detail or do they want artwork in it. So it all, it all is very helpful to look at the brief first and then give a proposal um, based on what they want. And so I have a basic price for, outerwear is going to be more expensive because there's a lot more going on um, rather than just like a tank top. So I kind of have a range in mind. And then after working with um, different clients, you kind of know what they expect the pricing will be like. So um, I do a set price for per style. And from that price, they get a couple different illustrated style options from me. And then um, the full tech pack. And whether it is, like, the entire tech pack or just a sketch with um, call-outs, you know, that varies per customer as well. So the price kind of depends on what they need from yeah. me, and then I give them a proposal.
0: Okay, gotcha. So they, you have them put together a clear outline of exactly what the project is going to look like, the brief, and then you base your proposal off of that. But it is kind of... Per item, per style, per se,
1: right? Because if they need a print or artwork um, original like that, I'll do myself. That's going to be you know an extra extra work, extra sure. hours into the style. So I'll just kind of include that in there. But um, a lot of clients that I have worked for bigger companies, they'll be like, "This is what we normally charge for a jacket," and then I'll usually say yes that works so it it kind of varies and and it's it's intimidating I think knowing like for a first-time company like what do you charge and then you don't want to come back with oh she's too expensive I'm not going to use her or um or you don't want to lowball yourself either so it's it is hard to figure out and I and I think that is one of the challenges of contractors is there's like no real standard or there's nothing you could look up online that is like this is what you should normally charge for this. Yeah. So that's that kind of something I just had to learn um going through it.
0: Did you make some mistakes and like totally underbid stuff in the past?
1: Yes, I definitely have (laughs) underbid stuff. (laughs) And and it's totally my fault. Like it was something that I could have, you know, easily handled but I just you know wasn't on top of it and and you just got to watch out for yourself and I think that um you know really value what you're giving them and um you know you don't want to sell yourself short but um you also don't want to be like priced out where they don't use me use you or something but that's never happened to me and I don't and I think that you know they would just come back and and negotiate. And I always say that too, like, you know, I'm happy to negotiate if this is not to your standard, but you don't want to go too low. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great that you've never had any um, clients that just turned away because the price was too high. You've been able to make it work all the time. That's really fantastic.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure maybe in some case, like a, a smaller startup probably didn't use me because my prices were too high. But you know at this point, I can't say yes to everything and if if you know if I have the time and I'm willing to take on new clients, then I can be flexible with my pricing but especially when you're busy and you're you have a lot of clients you you need to value those those clients that are paying you well and if other clients can't pay you you know the same then you know and you don't have the time, it just it doesn't make sense too,
0: yeah. Um okay I have a a question. You specifically call yourself a contract designer. It's even on your business card. And most mm-hmm. does most designers that I've met um in our industry uh say freelance. And so is there a specific reason or mm-hmm. sort of <laughs> have you thought about that or why why is that? You know, I I honestly
1: thought about that question before and I think it's really the same um I think to me freelance um I guess it came from like working in New York we'd have freelancers and they'd always work in house and so I always kind of associated freelance as like someone coming in and working in-house at a at a company and contract design is they give you a set amount of styles that you're contracted to design and you deliver that. So I think it's really, yes,
0: I am a freelance designer. So it's either one and the same. It is and it isn't, it it isn't on... though, because yeah. I mean, technically speaking by the books, a freelance designer would essentially do the same thing as a contract designer. You should be working off site. Right. You should be working on your on projects on your own time. You should you deliver whatever, you, you know, the set of deliverables you've agreed to. But It is true that in our industry, quote unquote, freelance work in some locations, in some fashion hubs, there's this expectation that a freelance job is is really more like a temp job.
1: Yeah, and I always
0: kind of thought of it that way. So I guess I didn't
1: really want to be labeled as, oh, she's like a temp or a freelancer, you know, but I don't think there's any derogatory, you know, connection to it. I think I just like the. That contract means, you know, I'm working for a set amount of styles for you. I'm not, like, by the hour, you know, type yeah. of thing.
0: Do you think that that has made a difference with your success?
1: Um, I don't think so. Really? I don't know. Just by using the word contract designer?
0: Yeah, no, I'm really curious because I feel like – you know, that can, one word, like the perception of how the brand views you can be drastically mm-hmm. changed by, by that contract versus freelance, especially in our industry. So I don't know, like, have you ever had any conversations with anyone within the brands that you work with? Maybe as you've built relationships, I would be super curious to know if they have a different perception of that. Have you gotten any feedback? I No, actually not. And
1: I, I but I have, it's definitely been brought up because you know, essentially, you are doing freelance, and I think people view it as the same. So I don't really know if it has made a difference. Not to my knowledge, but possibly.
0: Yeah. I would be curious to know. Um, I mean I was when I saw your business card I specifically thought interesting because so many designers label <laughs> themselves as freelance, but then there's this weird perception of what freelance is in our industry. So, um it's interesting that you did consciously think about that and choose the word contract designer.
1: Right. And I think yeah, definitely from my experience I always viewed freelance as like someone coming in and working in house, helping out the design team. Um but you know it can be many different things, so I think i just i like the con- the concept of contract designer better
0: yeah no i I think that's great. Um. Okay, and then I want to talk a little bit about your portfolio and, and sort of like what you did or didn't update on LinkedIn. And you've got um, a great portfolio on your website. But this is a space where it can become very overwhelming and feel um, people feel a lot of pressure in terms of, Oh, I feel like I have to constantly update my portfolio and I need to have a website. It needs to be on core and it needs to be on Mm -hmm. LinkedIn. It needs to live in all any span style careers or style portfolios, you know, whatever. There's all these different platforms and I think it can become really overwhelming. So, you know, earlier in the conversation, you commented that you were updating your LinkedIn, um, periodically when you first got started and that got you some, Mm -hmm. some search results, uh, did you just kind of focus on that or, you know, where what have you kind of done in terms of your portfolio? And I'll link to um, your site and everything in the show notes because it is, you, have, you do have some great stuff the way you have put it all together. Um, but how did you sort I of approach so. that? Yeah. How did you sort of approach that in terms of kind of focusing on like where you were going to put your effort and update your right. portfolio and how often you update it and like not getting overwhelmed and just spinning your wheels with I just have to spend so much time on my portfolio.
1: Yeah, that's definitely, it's so overwhelming. And I hate updating my portfolio. <laughs> so um, I had to, you know, as like, when I was starting out contract designing, you have, you have to, like, there's no option, you have to show your portfolio on in the interview. And um, so it kind of forces you to spend some time on it. And, you know, when I first moved out to moved to Colorado from New York. I had, and there was all these lifestyle companies. I had no lifestyle in my portfolio. So, um, I spent a lot of time working on a sketchbook. Um, I had gone on several interviews in New York, um, with like higher end designers and they actually gave me a lot of advice and they're like, you need to bring a sketchbook with you. People like to see your, um, thoughts and your processes and, and how you think and it doesn't have to be pretty it just you know people like seeing like rough sketches and so in New York I, I did a lot of work on my portfolio when I was interviewing out there um, after I was working with or I had been working for Macy's and just wasn't happy doing what I was or designing what I was designing so I went on several interviews out there before I decided to switch to lifestyle and so I really built up my portfolio um, in real life, like the paper portfolio, uh, which helped because I brought, you know, my book with me all the time. And now it's, you know, you can do everything online, but I think having that tangible object, um, of artwork and, you know, it's 3d, like you can touch it and you can feel it and bringing that to interviews, um, people appreciate it. And from there, I just, I scanned in, you know, a lot of those images um, and did a website that just had my work, which at that point, when I was first started, wasn't for a specific company because I was, you know, brand new to contract designing and just kind of put up projects that I did on my own or projects that I had done for an interview. Um, And so I think that helped just building that up. (laughs) to have that work. Um, because a lot of interviews, they'll ask you to do a project. And, um, if you don't get the job, then you just, you have this really nice project that you can use on your portfolio. So that was a way to build it up, um, before, uh, interviewing for other companies. Uh, another thing, you know, now that I've worked for several clients, um, and you have these great professional photos that were on the website or, you can get from the company themselves is you know such a great addition and really brings you know your designs to life when they see an actual photo of it on the model um so yeah it's, it's very time consuming it's so annoying um, to update your portfolio and I honestly haven't updated mine in quite some time but uh it's also kind of fun in a way you know once you get it together and people see you know the newer latest designs um that have come out so it's it's a love-hate relationship with the portfolio updating but definitely a necessary step yeah um because it, it needs to you know they need to see what you're capable of doing and how how you work so showing your illustrated sketch then showing your text sketch then showing the final product you know people like to see the process Um, Or your inspiration. So I think making it interesting to look at and not just showing your flat sketches,
0: um, you know, makes it really nice to, to see. Yeah, and you've done a great. You are a, a fantastic hand sketcher. It's something that I am terrible at. I know a lot of designers are terrible at as well. So yours look absolutely beautiful. Um, but I know you said earlier, like, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. It doesn't have to be beautiful. Like sometimes they just want to see the dirty, the gritty, the rough process to see mm-hmm. like, how your mind works. And you know, some of the stuff you show, it, it is a scan of your sketchbook, and it's like you know, some magazine tears and some fabric swatches and. And some little hand sketches and quick little doodles. Um, mm-hmm. and then it's just kind of all collaged together. And so that's just sort of the inspirational process. And it, it, it does come together really nicely. I think even if your your you know, your rough sketches and ideas are exactly that. They're rough and that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. But you also said you haven't updated in a couple or in a while, which I I'm I really glad. No, I'm glad you said that because now I'm gonna have to update it. No, you're not. You're not. You know what? Can I tell you that you're um, you're one of many freelance designers I talk to who, once you get established or contract designers, let me let me uh, say either one. Yeah. yeah, who <laughs> sort of once you get established, like it's not that important to update it right it's not like this full i think it's very easy to feel like you can turn into like a full-time job um and at some point you know you show the client a couple projects that like resonate with their brand they're like great if they want to see more they'll ask to see more otherwise they see what they see and they're like okay you know what i know you can do this this is great let's go forward with you know maybe a small project to start and see how it goes
1: yeah, and, and exactly right. I Honestly, people haven't um, needed to see my portfolio in a while. And I think, you know, if they found me on LinkedIn, then they have seen the link. Um, but when I go in for interviews or anything, I haven't had to recently show it that much. So I think once you get established and they know that you're capable of doing things or working for certain companies, then you know, it's not as important, but you do need to have, you know, something for people to see when they search your name or website or, and, and I had a website and I honestly have been too busy to update it. So I put everything on carbon made. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) I do have a website, but it's just down right now because I have been too busy to update it. But um, carbon made is super easy. If you want something simple um, and it shows your work it's nice, a nice layout um but yeah, that's kind of what I've had to resort to, because I just felt too overwhelmed to do my website, yeah, to update my website,
0: yeah, that happens a lot. It's very easy to to just feel like it's this big undertaking um and technology can feel a little overwhelming sometimes yeah and the, and mainly the times that I would update it was before
1: for um an interview or you know people have asked me can you prepare something for my client to see um and so i'll do a lot of work before showing it to a client for an interview so that's mainly when i update it which has not been a while (laughs) yeah
0: yeah um now what has been sort of your experience with sharing client work on your portfolio? Like, have you had um, – do you ask them before you share it, or do you uh, just put it up once the product has launched and it's available in the market? Or
1: Yeah, that's that pretty much like the um, baseline is, you know, if it's available online, if it's available in the market, um, I would share it. And then you obviously can't share your designs before they've been um, out on the market. So, yeah, I usually wait for that. Um, and, you know, sometimes I'll ask the the client if they can share some of the photos. Um, you know, some people are okay with that. Some people are not. It, it usually hasn't been a problem, but... Um, yeah or just use some from the website but yeah you just just need to wait till it's out in the market and not a not confidential anymore so yeah.
0: um and then one question i uh wanted to bring up from earlier that i i it slipped through the cracks we got sidetracked on something else is um on the note of being a contract designer um do you like actually put together a formal contract that gets signed or what does your agreement process look like? Do you protect <laughs> yourself on some level to make sure yeah. you get paid or, you know, what is where, where, what have you done for that?
1: You know, I have kind of got a little lazy doing contracts just because um, I've had recurring clients and I don't want to do, you know, a new contract each season. And it has backfired a little bit because I've gotten you know late payments. So it is very important to keep um, a contract current and have you know a policy for payment um, just to protect yourself in those situations. Because it's definitely happened to me. It's not fun when you're like struggling and you you should have received payment and it's a month late. You know, so it's it's something that you need to watch out for because a lot of you know, companies won't think about that. So yeah, recently I've actually been like, okay, here's my new contract. And and definitely some companies have their own contract. Um, I just kind of have a generic one that I'll, you know, um, fill in for each client. But uh, yeah, it's something that you kind of have to watch out for yourself on.
0: Yeah. And is that, did you just find a template online or did you have a lawyer draft something up for you or did you just put something really simple together?
1: I found something online and then kind of just revised it from there. Mm -hmm. Um, I have had a a lawyer friend look at it before, or maybe they looked at another company's, um, contract, but, but yeah, it's worth, you know, reading through and making sure it works for you and, and just protecting yourself in that way because, you know, you, it'd be awful if you someone you did all this work and you never got paid for it. That would just be yeah. you know heartbreaking. Yeah. Luckily, that has not happened to me, but <laughs> there have definitely been months where I'm like waiting and waiting for this payment, and it's you know it's a lot of stress.
0: Yeah. Do you typically get a deposit, or do you get like fifty percent down, or you what does that look like?
1: Yeah, typically I ask for um, a retainer, so fifty percent down. Um, immediately to start the process which you know normally once I submit the invoice then it has to come and by then I've already started the project so I think some contractors are very um, diligent on that where they're like we need I need the payment now or I'm not going to start work Um, in my case everything is very time sensitive and I don't have time to wait for the payment to you know hit the deadlines so I think I'm a little lenient on that, where um, I'll start the project without receiving the payment first, but, you know, the invoice invoice has already gone out. So it's kind of up, you know, up to the <laughs> designer. But um, luckily I've worked with great companies and, you know, nobody's not paid me. So I know that, that the payment is coming, but yeah, normally it's half up front and then once once the tech packs are completing, completed, then I'll send the invoice for the remaining half.
0: Yeah. Um, and I've done the same thing too, especially with brands that I'm like, I've worked with you before. I know this is very time sensitive. I, I send the invoice to get the half down, but you do sometimes just need to start working and you have to right. proceed it's cautiously, like, but it, yeah. it, it works out most of the time, especially when you're working with a brand you've worked with before.
1: Yeah. So normally it's just, you know, I've worked with great companies and they've been able to come through, but yeah, there's definitely been some spotty yeah. timing. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: okay. Well, this has been so amazing. And now, as you mentioned earlier, you are working on a collection of your own. So please share with us what is going on with that? What are you doing? What type of product? Um, Okay, so my sister and I are starting
1: our own line and it's called Glen & Glen. So both are maiden names. Um, and we're doing kind of like a modern, minimalistic women's wear line. So very um, clean, simple, drapey, asymmetrical tops, dresses, and skirts. Um, it's gonna be a small line to start with. So just eight pieces. And um, We are right in the thick of it right now So we're waiting to see our first Prototypes um, And getting those made in the US And then we're kind of in the search for A factory that's going to Manufacture everything And we're in the middle of Kind of seeking out Investors and all the Tough stuff so (laughs) It's been very challenging But um, it's something That uh, her and I have have wanted to do for a long time and and I just didn't want to wait any longer because really there's no like perfect time um, to do this or set aside. So I'm still keeping all of my clients and, you know, I'll have to do that for a while as well. So this is just another another client to add to my list, but it's also the most important one and, you know, very time consuming as well. So it's been, it's been great and, and hard, but we, we knew it was going to be difficult.
0: Yeah. But you're doing it for yourself. So that makes it almost all the better, right?
1: Right. And it's, you know, I, I love contract designing and designing for other clients. And then, you know, sometimes I just want to be like, well, this is what I would do. And this is what I want to do for myself, you know? So it's like, I've been wanting to design what I want to wear for a long time. Um, And so I think, you know, finally getting to do something where we can create a wardrobe that we want to wear ourselves is like, you know, because how many times have you been like, I really want I can't find anything to wear tonight. This is what I want to wear in my head, but that doesn't exist. So it's kind of like, (laughs) trying to make our dreams come true so yeah we'll see um it's it's you know it's going to be hard and there's so many people out there who've tried apparel doing their own startup apparel companies and have failed and it's you know something I've found in Colorado it was a little disappointing like to hear from to hear that and that's why I was very nervous and Kind of didn't start it sooner because I wasn't sure if it was possible. But then, I've actually worked for a couple startups um, in Boulder, and these are people that have no experience in apparel whatsoever, <laughs> and are starting apparel companies, and um, and I'm doing the designs for them. But like honestly, they just have no experience, and it's amazing to me that I'm like, wow if you can do it and you don't know anything about the apparel industry, (laughs) then I for sure can be able to do this. So I think it's just getting the confidence and, you know, you got to dig in the dirt. You got to, you know, hustle a lot to get it done, but it's better than me always wondering, Oh, I wish I would have done that. So, you know, we're not afraid to fail. And if we do, you know, at least we tried, but it's something that I hope succeeds and, and eventually would love to do that full time. So, yeah.
0: Um, well, I love your attitude on all of that. And it's it reminds me of something that someone actually shared this with my husband recently. And then this has kind of been his little mantra. And he shared it with me. And it's sort of switching the mindset of what if with the mindset of even if so for example you were talking about Mm -hmm. going into doing this collection and you've seen all these other brands out there they've done it and they fail so you could very easily go into it thinking what if we fail and with that mindset Mm -hmm. it's you're probably not going to try to do very many things in your life. But if you go after right. it with the mindset of even if I fail, you're like, you know what? Okay, I'm going to do it. Even if we fail, that's okay. It's going to be an experience. We're going to learn. We're going to have fun. It'll be a challenge. You know, whatever, all those long list of like scary roller coaster things that happen when you try to do something on your own. But that even if right. mindset, I so I love that. And um, just wanted to kind of point that out that um, it seems like your, your mindset is very much in that even if space, which is great. Right. Yeah. It's fair. I mean, I wake up in the middle of the night sweating a lot, like worried about (laughs) everything,
1: but, but yeah, it's like, we're, we're going for it. You know, there's no stopping us. We're, we're going to see it through and, and we know that it's challenging and, but I think like, yeah, you have to ask questions. You have to ask people for advice. You have to go out of your way and network and, um, You know, it's like do or die. It's pretty much you just got to survive and learn and do a lot of research and (laughs) spend a lot of time, you know, talking to people and learning, oh, this didn't work for them. You should try this. So, you know, luckily people have been very helpful in the industry in Colorado and are definitely willing to share their information and,
0: and network, which has been really great. That's fantastic to hear. Yeah, that's not always the case. Right. So yeah,
1: it's it's so tricky, you know, you know, pretty different from New York and um, I think it's just utilizing all of all of the people that you know that are in the industry, you know, and picking their brains and um, you know, you're going to have hiccups along the way. We know that it's not going to go perfectly, but if we are more prepared up front and kind of do you know all our research and a very thought out business plan and the financial planning is just like a whole nother ballpark like (laughs) that's just another load of work that neither one of us are particularly good at but um you know we're having help and so that's
0: good (laughs) That is all yeah, it's it's scary, crazy stuff. But then the cool thing is you get to learn so much about different parts of the process and, and it's a great educational journey. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, that's really cool. Um awesome, Hillary. This has been really great. Can you tell everybody where they can find you online?
1: Yes. Um so well you can find me on LinkedIn and and also, my portfolio link is on there, but it's, um, it is Hillary Glenn at Carbonmade um, is my most updated um, portfolio, but again, that hasn't been updated in a little bit. So a lot of times I tell people if they want to see specific work, I can email them um, more recent things as well. Um, and then Hilary Glenn design at gmail.com is a good contact as well
0: awesome and i will put um your linkedin the car Remade site and your email in the show notes for everybody um and awesome. do you have anything uh no pressure do you have anything up for your collection your glenn and glenn collection
1: i don't but i could put together something <laughs> okay.
0: well no pressure um, no pressure
1: but, <laughs> but we will we haven't really expanded our instagram yet but you know, we're going to try and um, show the process, you know, behind the scenes and everything on that. And that is Glenn and Glenn. So G-L-E-N-N and Glenn. And um, so definitely when that's up and running, be sure to tune into that. Also, um, we're launching spring 19. So
0: Okay, fantastic. Stay
1: tuned for that.
0: Yeah, really, really cool. Um, Definitely look forward to watching the journey on Instagram. That's a fun process to see sort of the behind the scenes. Um, Awesome. Well, I'm going to end with the last question I ask everybody at the end of the interview. And I don't know... um, if you had thought about this, because I think you've listened to a couple episodes. But that is what is one thing people never ask you about working in the fashion industry that you wish they did ask you? I I
1: do think that a lot of people know that I'm a designer. But honestly, I don't think they know who I design for, or like, know that, that my stuff is in magazines or it's online. Like, think they're like, oh my gosh, that's on, that's your style. And I'm like, yeah, you know that I design, right? So <laughs> I think that people, a lot of people aren't aware that your stuff is out there or as a contract designer, obviously it's not under your name. So I think people don't know where to find my designs or aren't aware that. Oh, you designed for them? I didn't know that, you know. So I think it's just like people are kind of amazed that oh, your your style was on the cover of that Title 9 magazine or you know like people don't realize because it's under a different company. Um so I think it's like it's funny um but at the same time, you know, nobody sh- would know because it's not like this is Hillary Glenn's design, you know. Yeah. So I so I think it's it's um maybe some people just don't know where to get the they they aren't aware that my stuff is in stores right now or I uh, I don't know. That's a hard question. That's a good one.
0: <laughs> no, I think that's a cool answer though, because um I think it's Part of, I, I don't know about you, but part, part of the cool thing about working in this industry for me is going to the store and seeing your product on the shelf or seeing it, like yeah. you said, in the catalog or something, and that can be a really – like super rewarding moment. Like you get still like maybe goosebumps or something when you're like, Oh my God, I did that. It's, and now I get to see it in the store. Um, and so it sounds to me that like, nobody ever really talks to you about that, like, or realizes maybe even makes the connection that you're a designer. I think it's just a mixed
1: connection, but then everyone's like, Oh, that's so cool. But, um, you know, as a contract designer, you're seeing your stuff, you know, numer- numerous, places all the time. And it's not like you're everywhere, being like, "Oh, that's mine! Oh, that's mine!" You know, it's yeah. not something that like a lot of people do. <laughs> um, even though you should be proud of your work, uh, but yeah, I think it's it's fun and and um, yeah, it's always like you're behind the scenes um, of other people's companies, and so that's something exciting that I look forward to doing with my own company that that your name is actually tied to it. And um, but it's also super even more nerve wracking, you know, because (laughs) you're thinking about it even more and hoping that people like it. And, you know, so it's always, you just have to balance um, any critical, you know, opinions too. And, and not everyone's going to love your style, but at least you tried and, you know, yeah. I'm sort of getting off topic there. So.
0: No, 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 that's okay. <laughs> How about this? You'll do it even if not everybody loves your style because part of being a fashion designer is having an opinion. Right. Yeah, I love it. Awesome, Hillary. This was so much fun to chat with you. Thank you so much for sharing everything about your journey and what you're working on um, with the listeners today. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, Thank you for asking me. It was such an honor. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you. Make sure to hit subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening so you don't miss out on upcoming shows. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd be super appreciative if you took 30 seconds to leave a review or rating on iTunes. You can do that at sfdnetwork.com slash review. And before you hit stop, I'll remind you to check out the 20,000 word ultimate guide to being a freelance fashion designer that I recently released. It goes through the step by step process of how to find and reach out to clients to get work, how to figure out and negotiate your rate, and how to present yourself and your portfolio professionally. I'm really excited to already have received success stories from many designers in the audience who have seen results like getting new clients and successfully negotiating a higher wage using the exact strategies that I put together in this free guide. So whether you're brand new to freelancing and are trying to get your career started or you've been doing it for a while and are a little bit of an industry vet, you know there's always room to improve, always room to find new work, to negotiate a better rate. And I walk you through step-by-step how to do all of that in the ultimate guide to being a freelance fashion designer. Check it out now at sfdnetwork.com slash freelance. And last, if you want to learn about any of the resources we mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 35. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.